Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK small caps investor, commentator and writer of the Small Cap Value Reports on Stockopedia.com with Graham Neary and occasional help from Roland Head. So this, just to emphasise, I'm recording this podcast on the 15th of December 2023. Now it's episode 49, so this is actually nearly a week late, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, I had various personal um, crises that I had to deal with um, over the last um, 10 days or so and I just wasn't in the right frame of mind to do a podcast last weekend so apologies for that. So this um, one I'm recording today relates to um, small cap value reports from 4th of December to 8th of December so that's about a week um, uh, delayed so apologies for the delay. Now if this is my third attempt at recording this I'm not having any luck at all at the moment particularly with uh, the software I'm using. I somehow managed to record a 40-minute podcast and then lost the file. Never mind. I've just poured myself a glass of nice crisp white wine and um, I'm going to do it all again. So I'm going to do it brief, uh, a bit a bit briefer, I think, as well, because if, it, if I lose it for the third time, uh, I think I'll just uh, decide that this podcast was not meant to be. Anyway, okay, so Monday the 4th of December. We covered four companies. The first one was a large uh, blue sky project called ITM Power. Now, uh, Graham looked at that. We're, we're, we've, we can only mark this red because it's a pre-revenue, heavily loss-making thing, burning huge amounts of cash. But it's still, still got £200 million cash in the bank. But we have no way of knowing if this project is going to work or not. So from a value gap perspective, which is what our reports are, we've got no alternative than to... Um, view it as red on our traffic light system. Uh, good luck to them. I hope they succeed. But again, we've got no way of predicting that. So it's just a straightforward red for us. Next, I look at Creighton's CRL. This is the personal products um, um, small cap that was a phenomenal multi-bagger, but has come most of the way back down again in the last year or two. Um, now, it put out interim results. Uh, I thought overall these were okay, given what the share price has done. The market cap is only about 15 million at 22.5p uh, at Creighton's. I think it peaked at about £1.25 in the market peak two years ago. So it's been a real uh, <clears throat> high level of pain for shareholders in Creighton's. But I've, I've reported here on its interim saying uh, it made a modest profit in H1. I think it's got a fairly sound balance sheet. Um... And there was further turmoil caused when it um, unexpectedly sacked its long-serving CEO last week. That'll be two weeks ago now. Um, I think there's, I've, I've concluded here there's still a lot to do to rebuild it to anything like the previous levels of profitability. I don't have a particularly strong view either way. But if I was a, an existing shareholder of Creighton's, I'd probably be fairly relieved by those interim results. Um, and the outlook sounded reasonable so um, at least it's not getting any worse let's put it like that. Graham looked at a minnow called Titan Holdings ironically maybe T-O-N only 9 million market cap that put out an inline trading update. Graham does flag that it's got a an amazing track record of paying dividends over 30 years but current trading is poor so we're amber on that one. Finally I found something potentially interesting um, on Monday 4th of December called Cornerstone FS 
This the ticket is Charlie Sierra Foxtrot Sierra. This is only at the time it was only nine million market cap, fifteen pence. It put out a very good trading update, and the shares were up thirty percent to fifteen p. That's why I looked at it. Normally, it would have been too small. Uh, for the small cap value reports, which don't normally go below 10 million. But as it was getting close to that, and it was up strongly 30% on a positive trading update, I thought, let's have a look at it. It's a payments forex type company. There's about four or five of these on the UK market. Very difficult to ascertain what uh, competitive strengths and weaknesses are between these uh, all these different companies. Um, <clears throat> but Cornerstone FS has put out a series of outperform updates. And what caught my eye is that uh, I looked at a broker note, which is upping the adjusted profit before tax forecast from 0.1 million to 0.7 million. Now, that's a huge jump for a thing that's only valued or was at 9 million. I think it's now about valued at about 12 million. So it hasn't gone up that much, really. Um, and this also means it shouldn't need to raise any more cash, which it previously had hanging over it. And there's quite a good um, webinar on, I think it's Investment Company, where the CEO and CFO of Cornerstone FS come across as, you know, straightforward, solid management, I would say, for this type of size of company. Um, it was a, a, an overpriced float in 2021, obviously a terrible year for IPOs. Um so it's come down a lot from the from the float price. But anyway, I thought it looked quite interesting. So I picked up a few myself as an opening um, position. There is some criticism of it online, I see, on ADVFN. There's somebody bad-mouthing one of the key people who I think runs the Asian side of the business. And somebody claimed that, oh, it's only reporting a profit because it pays its staff in share options. Well... So I looked into that and I looked at the interim results for Cornerstone. I, I can see from the prior year comparatives there was, there were very large multi-million pound um, share-based payments that went through the P&L and were then adjusted out. So that historically is correct. However, for the interim results for this year, the share-based payment charge was, I think, from memory, only about 175 grand. It wasn't that much, basically. So I think the allegation, though, they're just paying their staff and share options might have been true historically, but doesn't seem to be true for the current year. So I think I've cleared up that particular query point. So anyway, let's see what happens with Cornerstone. It's very volatile. It went up from 15p to 23p and it's come back down to 20p at the time of writing. Could go anywhere. I don't know. But have a look at it. I just think it looks potentially interesting. Now, on to Tuesday, 5th of December, 2023, we covered, I think, six companies on this day, some very interesting ones. So have a look at Tuesday, 5th of December report. I think it's got some nice nuggets in there. Now, one I'm going to crow about here that I wrote about on the 5th of December was On the Beach, OTB. This is the online holidays um package holidays company. Now, we flagged this in the small cap value reports at about 95p a few weeks ago when the CEO, or the, sorry, the founder, I think, I don't think he's CEO anymore, Simon Cooper, bought £2.5 million of stock in the market. Now, I flagged that up in the small cap value report on that day, first thing, saying, you know, heads up, everyone, when you get a director buy of that size it means something good's happening. Uh, or, or you've got some kind of crazy delusional um, director with too much money, which, <laughs> you know, that, 
that can happen. But but the, the, on the basis of risk reward on probabilities, you know, a, a founder of a company buying two and a half million quids within the open market is a very, very powerful bull signal. So at 95p a share, uh, we produced a big winner for the readers because it's ended this week at about £1.68. So that's a fantastic, roughly 75% gain in a few weeks. So I'm very pleased with that. Now, on Tuesday 5th of December, I wrote about the preliminary results and the shares went up 15% to £1.35. So I rushed out the report. I could see how good the figures were. So I rushed out my report by about 8am and I basically said, and then it opened up um, um, 15%, I think. And I said here at £1.35, I still think they're good value. Uh, sparkling results, I've called them. This is for September 2023 from On The Beach. Very strong continuing demand, good outlook, and it's earning bumper finance income now from its big cash pile. Um, uh, the only the only negative I could find on On The Beach was the cash conversion is not as good as uh, I would have liked, due to it capitalises a lot of development spend. Um, but it's going to reintroduce divvies. So I've stayed at green, and that was when there were £1.35, and it's carried on going up, to, as I say, to about £1.68, I think it's ended this week. So that's been a very nice result for um, Small Cap Value Report readers. So well done to the, those of you that grabbed the pretty obvious opportunity. All we did was flag it up. Anyway, that's a good one there, although obviously people start taking profits, won't they? So I don't know what it will uh, peak at or whether there'll be a retrace. No idea. Um, next, Graham looked at an absolutely dreadful thing called Tiny Build, TBLD. Um, this is going from bad to worse. It's just burning through its cash pile, the massive destruction of shareholder value. So um, <clears throat> it put out another profit warning. So we're obviously red on Tiny Build. We thought there was a turnaround potential with it because it, it, it looked a few weeks ago as if it was going to still have plenty of cash remaining, but that's not the case anymore. I think it might have done a fundraise as well, always doing one. So no, we've, we've just we've just written off Tiny Build, not interested. Uh, Graham looked at Peel Hunt. We like this one, P-E-E-L. This is the investment bank stroke broker. Now, the thing is, with all of these brokers, they're, they're having a hard time at the moment, obviously. And Graham and I, uh, says, and I agree with him, that basically you want to be um, in these things for the value for when the cycle turns, which it always does. It always does. And uh, as long as they're not heavily loss-making in the bad years, then if you can buy them not much above NAV, NAV, NAV which you can with Peel Hunt, um, uh, it looks very interesting value for as a recovery play, I think. So both both Graham and I like that. He's marked it as green, which people might query and say, oh, well, you know, it's not actually trading well. Why are you marking it as green? It's because of the asset backing and the obvious recovery potential. Um, and obviously, Peel Hunt is renowned for its fantastic research notes. Um, if only I could get hold of them, but you have to pay something like 20 grand a year to access them which you know, I can't justify it, unfortunately. Pity, because obviously, you know, they're getting privileged access to management to write this research, and then they're only, they're only distributing it to people who are prepared to pay a substantial amount for it. That doesn't seem right to me. I think the whole basis, the way, um, you know, privileged access to management and getting, uh, you know, privileged information and then only selling it on to some people that just seems completely wrong to me. But anyway, it's one of my bugbears I always go on about. Finally, Oxford Metrics OMG I looked at. I'm moderately positive on this. Preliminary results for 
uh, September 2023. Half the market cap is the net cash pile, remember, with this one. So very much a special situation. But the figures were good, good results, but it didn't give a clarity on the outlook. So I didn't like that. That, was, um, that introduced a note of caution, hence why I went from green to amber green. It doesn't work when people try to be clever with outlook statements and dodge the issue. Outlook statements need to be very clear. You need to tell us whether you expect to meet market expectations or not. That is, you know, that's what the outlook section's for. Not a load of waffle that ducks that question because people are not stupid. They look at it and say, ah, well, they haven't been specific about market expectations. That introduces a note of doubt. So a bit of an own goal there. Maybe they need to look at uh, getting some better advice on these things. Um, 888 Holdings, Graham had a look at. That's pretty complicated, that one, so I won't comment on that. Now, yes, this is a, another green one here that I like, is Porver, P-R-V. This is the Specialist Filtrations um, Consumables business um, that has an, a nice niche, you know, making high-end specialist filters for things like aviation and medical devices. Uh, now, it put out a, a head of expectations trading update. Now, this wasn't a surprise. We predicted on in the small cap value reports on 15th of September that the forecast looked too low and it looked set up to beat them. Other people obviously spotted the same thing because it only rose 3% on the ahead of expectations update. Now, Porver historically has always been too expensive for me, but I have to say, I now think at about £6.24, I think it's reasonably priced. Probably on a PE of about 15, it's got a good balance sheet. It's doing self-funded growth uh, through acquisitions. Uh, I think it's a nice business and I think it's reasonably priced. So I'll reiterate my green view on Porver. Now on to Wednesday, I'm afraid to say, this is the 6th of December. I malfunctioned on Wednesday and couldn't get into it. So Graham, um, <clears throat> Graham, uh, and, and doesn't look like Graham was firing on all cylinders either, because he <laughs> he covered one company. So I, I do apologize, we weren't, the report wasn't up to scratch on Wednesday, but if it hadn't been for Graham, there wouldn't have been anything in it. So uh, thank you to him. Um, he looked at system one, the ticket is SYS1, the number one, uh, 27 million market cap. Now, interestingly enough, it went up 25% on the interim results. Um, <clears throat> and Graham said here, some strong earnings upgrades. It's a sort of a very strange little company, marketing platform, Graham's called it. We've always thought it looks intriguing, but the performance is rather erratic. But anyway, Graham thinks there's signs for optimism there and it's got a robust cash balance. So have a look at that one if you like. Graham's only marked it amber though, so he couldn't have been that impressed. Okay, on to Wednesday, no, Thursday, 7th of December, 2023. Now, uh, guilt kicked in, so we decided to have a catch-up day. We covered eight companies, so that recouped most of the shortage from the day before. Uh, Graham looked at Premier Mighton. This is Gervais Williams' um, fund management fund management group that's really suffered, I think, from redemptions and it's full year results Graham had a look at. I know Graham thinks this whole sector is really cheap, and I agree with him. Um, <clears throat> And uh, but it's been exposed to big um, fund outflows, which obviously puts these funds in a, fund managers in a very difficult position because then they have to sell things even if they like them. And if they're not careful, they just send, send, they, they sell the most liquid things because those are the things they can sell. But very often they're the best things that they should be keeping. So, you know, 
which means that you can get a, a risk of further underperformance. But anyway, Graham's amber on Premier Martin, and he goes into a bit more detail on that, obviously. So see Thursday the 7th of December's report for that. Um, we just flagged up smart metering systems here. There was a premium, 40% premium, all-cash takeover bid from an American buyer, well-known firm, K KKR, um, <clears throat> which they want to put SMS within a $17 billion fund focused on infrastructure investments. This seems to be uh, quite a hot area area for takeover bids. We haven't actually covered uh, smart metering systems before in the small cap value reports because it was a bit too big. So um, I think with the takeover bid, it's just over, a, what is it, at one point? 1.2 over 3 billion pounds so a little bit ahead of what we've done but anyway well done to shareholders you know you've done um you've done very well there i think oh dear a bit of a disaster polarian imaging p-o-l-x this one put an update out i've said here you know it's long overdue an update it's been a disaster management have made such a mess of this they've basically sat there and just let it run out of cash it's got cash runway now to q3 of 2024 so the clock's ticking it's everybody knows it's going to have to raise money so nobody wants to buy the shares until it's refinanced so terrible rookie mistake so many uh, small speculative companies do this um, <clears throat> they've got to be properly funded and they're with a contingency on top when they float and you know you can't just rely on shareholders doing round after round after round of refinancings um, so unfortunately Polarin Imaging's you know the equity is almost worthless now dropped down from over a pound to about 5p um, you know I think it's an interesting company interesting products no doubt about that that they're trying to um, commercialize um, but I, I don't want to touch it till they've refinanced. Um, we saw a similar thing with Creo Medical, where the share price just absolutely cratered, and because everybody was just waiting for it to refinance. And you might get a bit of a bounce when it refinances, but it it totally depends on the terms of the deal. You know, the somebody could come along and bid for it in the in the in the meantime. I I just don't know what the outcome will be. But unless it's properly funded. I like to see at least two years cash in the bank for cash burning companies. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines with Polarin Imaging, imaging and we'll see what happens. Um, what else? Oh, yeah, another takeover bid. 10 Entertainment Group, TEG. This is the 10-pin bowling operation, the smaller of the two listed uh, bowling operators. Hollywood Bowl is the biggest one. I mean, they're, they're fantastic businesses, absolute cash cows. They're doing really, really well. Um, uh, it seems to be sort of affordable family entertainment that people like. Uh, well, I, you know, we were wondering if the the boom after the pandemic might fizzle out, but there's no not really any sign of that. Anyway, a U.S. private equity group swooped on it with a 33% premium. It's not a generous bid, but it's well above what the stock market valued it at. So you can't really complain, can you? And <laughs> yet again, Harwood Capital is involved. And I, they actually bought this company completely a few years ago when it was called Essendon. And then they refloated it a few years later at about five times the price. So, <laughs> so I no doubt the same thing will happen again. Um, anyway, I've said here, well done to holders. With hindsight, the value in 10 entertainment shares was obvious, but we didn't really pick up on it in the small cap value reports. So I feel we let you down a bit on this one. We have we have mentioned it a few times, but never, never particularly enthusiastically uh, when we should have been because the value was so good. 
Um, I think we missed a trick there. So sorry about that one. You know, uh, we, we, we should have homed in on the opportunity. I was thinking, why didn't we write about it more often? And I think it's probably one of those ones where it just put out in-line trading updates, which obviously we don't particularly focus on um, because we're looking for the price sensitive stuff, you know, ahead of expectations and profit warnings. So we didn't report on Ten Entertainment in about the last six months, which is a pity because looking at the stock report, you know, the value is blindingly obvious when you when you even just give it a, a two minute one minute overview from looking at the stock report um so yeah a bit disappointed with myself on that one i should have been flagging that as a as a very good value share and it slipped through the net so sorry about that but very well done to shareholders now another one we absolutely love bloomsbury publishing bmy now i reported on this on thursday 7th of december this was a uh, what was this trading update materially ahead of expectations for the year ending um february 2024. So it's fairly unusual for companies to be ahead of expectations at that late stage of the financial year. And what it says, obviously, is book publishers. Um, it says that uh, it's boosted in particular from strong sales of fantasy fiction. And it named a particular uh, lady author. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Sorry about that. But her books are are doing very, you know, are very popular, apparently. Um, I was talking to Megan at Stockopedia head office about Bloomsbury Publishing yesterday, actually. And she was saying what a great business it is. Owner-managed still. Um, they seem to have this knack of picking, um, you know, a, a early stage picking the best authors and then, of course, they like J.K. Rowling, for example, who's been locked into Bloomsbury Publishing for, for 25 years or something. And obviously that's been a huge cash cow for Bloomsbury. And um, very interesting. I've said here, even after it went up 10% to £4.65 on this materially ahead trading update, it's still, I think, reasonable value. It's got a very nice balance sheet, loads of cash, so it can do plenty more acquisitions. Uh, it seems to be good at making acquisitions. Strong balance sheet, plenty of net cash, high stock rank, valuation still reasonable. It ticks all my boxes, Bloomsbury Publishing does. It's got a fantastic track record. And you th it's surprising, isn't it? A mundane thing like a, like a book publisher. But they do digital as well. And they do academic books. And it's got quite a few strings to its bows. And who would have thought, you know, five or ten years ago, that this would have been such a strongly performing share? When everybody would have probably said, oh, books are finished, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they're not. They're still very popular. And you've got all these book clubs and um, various things like that that have uh, given it something of a renaissance. So at any rate, we really like Bloomsbury Publishing. Big green thumbs up from me. Uh, less keen on SDI, uh, Sierra Delta Indigo. This is the um, sort of buy and build um, acquisitive group, which mm, wheels have come off a bit really this year. It's dropped by about half. Interim results were not particularly good. It had to cut the forecasts. Customer destocking and weak demand in China and Germany, it points out. Um, I think I think the halo has, 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 has not just slipped. I think it's fallen off at SDI. I think the company needs to really prove itself again from scratch because, um, you know, it's the last couple of years have not been good and they've were over overzealous i think and they 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 flagged that they were going to have some downturn from one-off covid orders not repeating but then they missed their forecasts well 
you know, and then kind of said, well, what did you expect? We did tell you we were going to. No, you you set your forecast too too optimistically. Um, uh, question mark over management there. I've got to be blunt. So yeah, we don't see value in SDI even at ninety p. We think you know sub eighty p. It might be worth a fresh look, but it's got to prove itself all over again. I think. Um, Virtue Motors, VTU, the car dealers, one of the very few remaining listed car dealers, one of our favourites, but unfortunately it slipped up, dropped 22% to 66p on a very unexpected profit warning. Basically, the problem that Virtue signals is that used car values have, fought, have fallen very sharply, far more sharply than expected in the last two months. Now, we should have spotted this, actually, and we did in a way, because Motorpoint, M-O-T-R, the car supermarkets thing, also said that used car values were falling very rapidly. So we did have some read-across from this before. So arguably, um, we should have all been selling virtue on the read across from Motorpoint, uh, maybe a week or two before its own profit warnings. So um, there was a bit of a warning in advance on that one. I've only got a tiny position in virtue, so you know, negligible, So um, uh, because I banked my profits some time ago. Uh, we've now got the quandary, haven't we? What to do with the withholding in virtue? Because it looks set to be uh, the, the next takeover bid in the sector. Indeed, a competitor has a disclosable stake and I think has been adding to it. So you've just got to weigh up for yourself the likelihood of a, t a takeover bid coming through at a nice premium or that um, the shares, you know, have, ha have seen seen their best and, and, and are going due, due to decline from weaker trading. Now, management, I believe, did say that they saw this this... Um, crash in used car values as being a, kind of a, a one-off reset. Um, therefore, you know, you could argue it's it's not really um, necessarily uh, uh, a reason for the shares to keep falling. And they do seem to have found support around the mid-60s. I think they ended the week about 69p. On balance, I think the readers generally and the reader comments were saying they're going to stick with it for the takeover bid. And the balance sheet's very strong. All that freehold property. Uh, but basically, we've got to be disciplined with our traffic lights. So I've slipped it down a gear from green to amber to reflect the fact that there are positives and negatives to the share now. And, you know, you can't I can't ignore the fact that it's put out a profit warning. But I, th I think on balance, I'm going to. Well, I've, I've kept my small remaining holding in it anyway. Now, this one, this last share in Thursday, 7th of December's report, I'm going to make a mystery share. So look up Thursday, 7th of December's report, and it's the last of the, well, the eight companies we covered that day. So it's the, the, you know, the last one on the, on the list as it appears on screen. This one was a company that put out full year results for September 2023. Um, uh, looked superb value to me. It dropped 18% on the day. Um, I don't know why, but then I think later I discovered that apparently some brokers had slipped through some downgrades, uh, but Pond Life Like Us didn't have access to those broker notes, which is really annoying. Um, it's previously, this share has been a major multi-bagger, um, but it's come nearly all the way back down, and uh, it's now incredibly cheap on price to cash flow, and it's rapidly paying down its debt. So I think this could be a second bite of the cake, although... I've been talking to a few other people who've said this particular share uh, 
maybe um, maybe you have some sort of structural problems over its business. But anyway, look, look at Thursday's report, the last one on the list. I think it's very interesting. I bought a few myself and uh, it's actually up 10% already. So um, that looks like it was a fairly good call. And I'm green, obviously, on the share in the 7th of December's report. OK, on to Friday, 8th of December. One of my long-time uh, long favourites put out some fabulous news. This is Interseed, ticker IGP. Uh, I'm absolutely delighted this share has recovered so strongly. It's, I think it's more than doubled in the last few weeks. Unfortunately, it all happened so quickly, I missed it. So I'd sold mine about a year or two ago. Um, I wasn't patient enough with Interseed. It does the... Uh, it does the... Um, two-factor ID software that is embedded within major organizations IT to stop unauthorized access to it basically and their client list is just unbelievable it's this, this, this tiny little AIM company in Lutterworth in the Midlands which basically writes and controls the software for all the identification authentication for major US uh, federal agencies and the world's largest aerospace companies. It's incredible, the client list. <clears throat> very sticky clients, very uh, predictable revenues. Anyway, the, the big news here is that they've won a major new contract with um, a US federal agency. Uh, and it was done through a reseller, which again is very interesting because that could build more business. And I've caught, I said here, uh, fabulous contract news and a stellar upgrade to forecasts from Cavendish. So do have a look at the reports, uh, the, the on research tree, you can download Cavendish reports. And the one for Interseed is remarkable. I'm so, so pleased because I really like management at Interseed and um, Klaus van der Leest, he's been there five years. He, he likes to talk to me every results time and uh, I think I've interviewed him in my podcast as well and uh, yeah I've always wanted this one to succeed because you know it's a nice company with long-serving loyal employees and class had a bit of a state on his hands when he came when he came in he's turned it around and his strategy was methodical it was to sort of stop the leaf leak roofing you know straighten out the balance sheet and step by step he's done the things that need needed doing but the bit, the, the missing link was always sales growth. And I got fed up with it because the sales growth, I was in it three years, but then I um, tripled my money. So I thought that was a reasonably good outcome. But um, the um, the sales growth was the sticking point that just didn't seem to be coming through. Well, it's really come through now with this major, it is a one-off contract, but it will come with a nice long tail of maintenance and repair. And obviously each of these new wins is a reference site. And you know, a lot of critics of Interseed said, look, this is legacy software. You know, they're not winning any new contracts. Well, that argument's just been blown out of the water. So uh, I think Interseed looks very exciting and I'm tempted to, to just throw caution to the wind and buy back in actually but um, when funds permit so delighted that one's worked out so well and then <clears throat> one that hasn't worked out so well is Christie Group CTG property services uh, group very strange little company don't know why it's listed it put out another profit warning I think this is the third or fourth one this year um, what it's saying each time it warns on profits it says there have been transactional delays it sells uh, properties, acts as agent in sales for individual properties and blocks of properties. 
but it keeps saying this. So, I mean, they don't seem to have a handle on, on their forecasting. I'm very exasperated with Christie Group, and I'm sure shareholders are as well. Anyway, the recovery that it was anticipating in H2 this year has been lacklustre, only scraped into a small profit. And overall for the year, it's expecting a loss for calendar 2023 of 1.5 million, which is very poor. But historically, Christie Group makes about 5 million a year profit. So we need to be clear on what's gone wrong this year, because Begbie's trainer also has a property services division. And they've said this week that it's trading fine. There's no problems. So why has Christie so significantly outperformed? I don't think we've had a full explanation for that. However, the finances don't look stretched, so I don't think you need to worry about solvency or, or, or dilution at Christie. The one thing you might have to think about, though, is delisting risk. It's quite a concentrated shareholder register at Christie, so I'm a little bit wary of it, but I can, I can see the potential this might recover if they start to close some of these delayed deals in 2024. Time will tell. Right, that's it from me. This is, as I say, the delayed report for um, 4th to the 8th of December. So uh, that leaves me up to date now, ready to do the next um, podcast, probably tomorrow or Saturday 16th of December, or it might, it might go into Sunday. Depends how much eggnog I have tonight. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Thanks for all your support. We really appreciate it. Right, bye for now. Bye.